Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. to the Habitat Podcast, the podcast for wildlife habitat management, hunting strategy, and land stewardship. And now, your host, Jared Van Hees. Welcome to the Habitat Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Van Hees, and we are here to become better habitat managers. Happy Friday, everyone. Welcome to the Habitat Podcast. Our goal here is to become better habitat managers together, make our property better, have better hunting, have better wildlife, improve the habitat. And we interview folks that know how to do it and help us learn along the way. Like today, we have Mr. Wayne Sitton. Now, Wayne is, I guess what I'd call the club manager at the Turtle Lake Hunt Club in northeastern Michigan. So Wayne has been up there for years managing close to 30,000 acres here in northern Michigan. And the proof is in the pudding, guys. Their members are shooting great bucks. Um, We go over, you know, how Wayne got hooked up with Dr. James Kroll, a.k.a. Dr. Deer. They're good buddies. They work together on on jobs and, and projects. Um, James has been up to or Dr. James has been up to the Turtle Lake Club for the necropsies a few times. Uh, we talk about you know Wayne being from Arkansas, how he got you know moved up to northern Michigan. I don't know very many people who have done that. Um, we talk about the Turtle Lake Club, a lot of his day-to-day activities, their their habitat management goals and plans on the club, and how they've taken that from basic northern Michigan state land where there's a bunch of spikes running around to, you know, 150 class whitetail in northeastern Michigan. I repeat that northeastern Michigan guys. Um, He has a very 
informative video on YouTube about harvesting does and what type of fawns, shouldn't say what type, what gender fawns certain age class does produce. Uh, so that video will be in the show notes that we talk about it here in the podcast. We also talk about a lot of things that folks are doing wrong on a daily basis, you know, misinformation. The internet's great and all, but um, everybody has access to it and that can sometimes lead to misinformation. So guys, great episode here with Wayne Sitton. Really enjoyed it. Very informative. So get your notepads out and get ready to talk deer and habitat management. Now I want to talk about um, kind of what I've been up to. I'm going to have another podcast coming out. I was going to launch it this week, but I'm not finished with it yet. It'll be next week. I finally got my my spring food plots planted up at the Northern 70. Um, and then I got uh, to meet a, another forester slash logging company. And we're painting trees. So another podcast episode to come on that. We are moving forward on the timber harvest up there. And I'm excited about it. And I can't wait to tell you guys all about, you know, my last week up there and, and meet with the guys and, and how it's going. So that's coming up. Hopefully you guys are getting some stuff done. And a lot of folks are planting spring food plots right now. Um, vitalized seeds shipping out every day. So appreciate all the loyal customers there. Guys, this week's episode is going to be brought to you by Legendary Forest Products. That's kind of where I was going with that. Uh, Matt Musselman at Legendary Forest has been in the woods. He was just at uh, Vince Pagano's property recently. Uh, Vince has been on the podcast a while back. I saw Matt was out there doing some work and um, expanding a food plot or two and talking timber. So if you guys are looking to have your woods looked at and possible timber harvest, maybe the mulcher to expand some food plots. If you need some work done, call Matt at Legendary Forest Products. He's in mid-Michigan. He travels. He has badass equipment and um, he'll be happy to help. Legendary Forest Products on Facebook is how I follow Matt. Uh, his phone number's on there, email's on there. Reach out to him. Tell him Habitat Podcast sent you. And, uh, you know, we did a podcast with Matt a ways back, too. If you look up Habitat Podcast, Matt Musselman, uh, Legendary Forest Products, check it out. And Matt is a deer hunter and a landowner and a habitat manager, just like the rest of us. So when you got guys coming to help you on your property, you want guys that are in the same shoes, that share your same goals, and can help achieve that, uh, you know, from experience, by having experience. So Legendary Forest Products, check them out. Tell them Habitat Podcast sent you. This is also brought to you by Acres. Acres.co is the website, guys. Acres is a land research platform that puts you in the driver's seat with easy access to listings, sold land data, and over 10 layers of insights on the mapping feature where you can, you know, buy and sell with confidence. You can look up historic land use. You can find potential risks. Was this property farmed in the past? Was it wet in the past, etc.? You can look up the regional land market, kind of understand what price per acre is around you and really just evaluate rural land um, with a bunch of information, you know, at your fingertips. That is if you sign up for their free plan, they have a premium plan, which is geared more toward like land professionals, um, real estate agents, brokers, guys like Brian and I, who are working on folks, property habitat podcast, land plans. We use the premium version. Now all these layers are on that premium version and you can find elevation, historic imagery, soil data, crop history, um, 
values again the value per acre listings nearby uh, you can look up property owner you know that's i mean a lot of folks can do that these days on all the apps that are out there but it's nice to have the parcel id owner names more and be able to you know look at the soil type rate the soil etc like i'm back in the market now looking at some property and um this is an extremely valuable tool to me uh with a premium version you can also design professional reports so if you want to put together for your client a professional report with any of these different insights on that property, um, acres.co allows you to create customizable PDF reports, you know, for your brand. So that's pretty awesome. It's, it's a tool for guys like me and for those who are interested in land and the mapping features are just pretty awesome. So check it out. Acres.co. Tell them Habitat Podcast sent you. All right, guys, we're going to get right into it with Wayne. I can't wait any longer. This is an awesome episode. Um, if you need us, reach out info at habitatpodcast.com. Check us out on all of our social media and YouTube. And, uh, you know, thank you to everyone who's leaving us great reviews. I am still sending out decals. I'm having more made right now. We put a stamp on it. And we send them out to the listeners who scroll down, leave us a great review, type us, type us out something nice and leave your name or just message me if you do so, which folks have done very helpful. Tell me you left a review. Tell me your username. I go and see the review. I send you a free five-inch Habitat podcast decal. Slap it on your truck. Slap it on your tractor. Slap it on your solo seed spreader. Whatever you want, guys. Thank you so much for those who've done that. That means a lot. More to come. We got some cool new stuff coming down the pike here. And um, thank you all for tuning into the Habitat podcast as we become better Habitat managers. I want to thank Exodus Outdoor Gear. I want to thank Packer Max called the Packers. Morse Nursery, Endless Horizons Archery, First Light, United Country Midwest Lifestyle Properties, and Vitalize Seed Company for all your food plot needs. Here we go. Wayne Sitton, Northern Michigan, on how to manage 30,000 acres in some of the toughest area in the country for deer hunting. All right, guys, we're back. Mr. Hallbly, how you doing tonight? I'm doing well, my friend. Just catching up on some yard work and getting some things done in between the rain here in Pennsylvania. All right. So does your yard look better or your food plot at this time? Always food plots look better. One hundred percent. No kidding. Same boat. The same boat. We have a uh very special guest tonight, Mr. Wayne Sitton. How you doing tonight, Wayne? I'm doing good, sir. Appreciate you coming on. I've um I've heard your name tossed around here in Michigan for quite a few years. I got a, a bunch of uh, nutcase friends of mine that are big in the big into deer hunting. You know, Lincoln Roan, um, Jim Rummer, all these guys that I'm sure you've met before up in your neck of the woods, and uh, heard a lot about you. So happy to have you on, and and uh, thanks for coming on. Hey, appreciate you having me. Hope some of it was good. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, a lot of people have been up to the necropsies up there at Turtle Lake. I've not been there. And uh, I always see the pictures and, and heard great things, but um, we'll, we'll get into that. For those who may not have heard your name before or may not know about you, why don't you paint us a picture on, you know, your background, where you're from. I know you're not from Michigan, but you're here now. And I guess tell us about how you got to where you're at. Well, it's a, uh, uh, a long story, so I'll, I'll shorten it up a little bit. Um, we got time. It's all right. Oh. Uh, I was born and raised in a little town in Oklahoma. Um, grew up farming, ranching, cowboy, and doing that kind of thing. Um, 
finally got through high school by the skin of my teeth and missed Vietnam by the skin of my teeth. So uh, I started college, worked my way through that, uh, got in construction for a long time. I, I've done a little bit of everything, uh, done some bodyguard work in Arkansas, which was kind of cool. Um, but through, through my dairy farming, my, my ranching, uh, back in the day, uh, we had thousands of acres with, with cattle on them and, you know, you'd have a, a pond or a, a draw or a, a, a ravine somewhere and have a few deer in it. So, you know, I'd throw a little hay out or throw some, throw some feed out or something, managing for deer before I really knew you could manage for deer. Um, and, uh, being from the South, of course, Dr. Kroll, he was, he was quite a bit, uh, not quite a bit. He's about 10 years older than me. Um, I've run into him at a few shot shows and different things around. We got acquainted. Um, but then in 1990, late part of 96, uh, the Turtle Lake Club in Michigan called me and said, Hey, are you interested in the job? And, uh, no, I'm not. I mean, <laughs> who wants to move to Michigan, you know? So. Anyway, I drove up here and uh, uh, to the Turtle Lake Club, which I knew nothing about. I was pretty impressed, and they said, "Hey, we got we got a problem, and and we'll know if you can help us fix it." So I took the job. That's been twenty seven years ago or so. Wow. Um, in the meantime, I've I've uh, I've been running with Doctor Cole for almost thirty years. Uh, so we we do stuff all over the nation and, and a little bit out of country even. So. Um, you know, I've kind of learned it the, the, the hands-on old-fashioned way, but, uh, so far so good. I've been uh, pretty successful, know about everybody in the business around the country. So, uh, here we are. Okay. So, and, and how'd you get hooked up with Dr. Kroll just by showing up at the same shows and expressing interest and, and someday you guys got talking and how'd that all uh, happen? Actually, I I I, had, I saw him in a few shows, talked to him back in those days. That he show up at a Dairy Queen to have a seminar. I mean, he wasn't as big as what he is today. <laughs> um, but anyway, the the club uh, wanted to get a a a little more professional uh, type manager in here, so I called Doc, and he came to the club 20, 21 years ago. And I've been working with him here ever since, and and uh, we hit it off, and and I I saw what he knew, which was worlds ahead of where I was at. Uh, so I've had a, I've had 20 years of side-by-side -side school with him and, and uh, we partnered up. And so, excuse me, we do a lot of work around the country together. Okay. Gotcha. So how did you end up then at, at Turtle Lake in, in Michigan? I guess let's tell us about where that's at. Um, I mean, from Oklahoma, that's quite the different landscape. And it and is. Maybe you know, it I guess let's there. hear how that went down. Okay. Um, ironically, I had a, I had a, a business in uh, uh, Little Rock, Arkansas, and there was an ad in the back of Field and Stream of a place looking for a manager. And my son, who was uh, 14 years old, time, said, hey, Dad, you need to apply for this. And I said, Dad, this one of them deals, you buy a lot and they put you on a committee or something. Um, anyway, so I, I did. Um the guy called me. He said, "Hey, he said, uh, uh, I want to hire you." And I said, "Well, uh, okay, where you at?" And I'm in Michigan. I said, "Well, I don't do any work in Michigan." I was still thinking I had this other business going. Finally, we worked through that. He he said he was, uh, uh, you know, a VIP with a Fortune 500 company. 
uh, would I come up for an interview? So I, sure. So I, uh, free trip to Michigan, why not? Uh, so I flew up and uh, um, suffered to a three-day interview with them, uh, pointed out their problems, and they said, okay, well, we'll offer you a job, and, and they did. And like I said, it's been 27 years ago. So uh, uh, it was the, the club. I'm sure everybody in Michigan has heard of the Turtle Lake Club. Um, but it was, at that time, wasn't much more than glorified state land. Okay. They didn't have any deer programs going. Uh, uh, timber management was a wreck. Uh, you know, the shooting, you know, spike horns and, you know, the typical stuff. Uh, but we've really turned it around. It's a, it's a premier place now. So for, I mean, a lot of people do know what that is, but we have a lot of listeners that, that aren't in Michigan as well. How would you, well, I guess before we describe the Turtle Lake Club, what was your first thought on coming up to Michigan? Have you been here before? Never been. So what time of year did you come up? Oh, it would have been, uh, it would have been a fall, probably September. Oh yeah. So they got you when the weather was still nice and the leaves, oh, were, yeah. everything was beautiful. <laughs> and perfect. They, perfect. They, they baited you in before it got nasty, huh? Yes, sir. They did. Okay. All right. So for, for those who, who don't know, I guess, explain what the Turtle Lake Club is, you know, how many acres, um, what the goals were then to what they are now. Um, and I guess the whole, what they needed, what was the hole in the bucket? Um, the, the Turtle Lake Club is a, is a very large piece of property in, in, in uh, northern Michigan. Um, you know, they, they had about 24,000 acres uh, wow. established in 1884. Uh, they're, the, they're the oldest club of, of this type, uh, east of the Mississippi River. Um, you know, it's a, it's a very small, uh, uh, pretty elite membership, great guys. Um, and they wanted to do something with, uh, with uh, well, all, all of it, but but mostly the habitat and, and the deer management end of it. As far as their hole in their bucket, uh, at that time it didn't have a bottom in it. Uh, they, there, it was a it was a clean slate. Start where you want to. Uh, you know, I I know guys say, well, you can't have over a, a four or a five or a six uh, to one buck to no ratio, and I can. I can show you lots of data to dispute that, but uh, if they probably were at a 20 to one buck to doe ratio and a two-year-old buck was, that, that would take a buck pole. Um, it, it was really, really bad. Um, and it wasn't that they, they, they weren't trying, they said anybody knew what to do for them. So um, we kind of started at the bottom, worked our way up. And you said 20 to one buck to doe or doe to buck? Doe to buck. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like, and, and where, where in the state is that? Uh, it's in Northern lower. Yep. Up in Northeastern side, right? Yeah. Round, round out Pena, Gaylord, up in that area. Okay. Yeah. So these days we have, um, Northern, Northern lower is one of my favorite parts of the state. Uh, but these days the deer hunting for is, is kind of more renowned down down in the southern part of the state due to ag um more private land etc i don't i like northern michigan better just personally but um you know you're you're kind of being asked to go to a spot that's you know not as easy as corn fed bucks right it's, it's not quite it, it's more pine forest and oaks and and just state land forever yeah 
that's what that's what it is. We're in what they call club country up here. Um, we're a hundred percent surrounded by, you know, other private clubs and nice. you, you know how that works. Uh, everybody promises and nobody delivers, um, <laughs> but you know, throughout the years, we've changed that mentality up here and you know, the, the program that we've put in place here, we've probably got, I don't know, the surrounding area, we've probably got close to 75 to hundred thousand acres of, of neighbors and other clubs that are or mimicking what we're doing and, and having reasonable success. So, so it's changing. Um, the, the Turtle Lake Club was the ground zero of tuberculosis. Uh, so we've, we've fought that for a lot of years, the stigma, but we've, we've pretty much got it gone uh, at this point, just through good management practices and, and uh, you know, necropsies and doing all the right things. So, you know, lowered our numbers. So Wayne, what was the biggest property that you worked on before you took on this giant one? Uh, I, I, I probably 10,000 acres around that, that number. Okay. So what, what was, how did you approach, you know, taking on that, that much property at one time, kind of walk us through where you started, what you were looking at when you first got there and, and kind of how you were organizing your plan. Well, when I, when I first came in, there, there's about a three miles from the gate to the clubhouse. Um, it was, it was late afternoon and I, I went by one of their food plots and there must've been 500 deer on it. And I almost turned around and went back to Oklahoma because I knew that that was a giant undertaking. Um, I guess probably the, my, my biggest struggle was getting people up here at, you know, 20 years ago, nobody even wanted to shoot a doe. <clears throat> so we had a lot of conversations, a lot of classes, you know, about, you know, buck to doe or doe to buck ratios, uh, recruitment counts, farm crops, all the things. I finally got the guys to kind of understand that. And I said, okay, I, I, we've got to shoot some doe. They said, how many? And I said, well, let's start with a hundred. Well, you know, you're from Arkansas. You really don't understand where baby bucks come from. Now I got three kids. I've kind of got this figured <laughs> out. Uh, they said, well, let's shoot 15. Well, 15 is like spitting in the ocean, you know, back in those days. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, long story short, 15 didn't make an impact. Next year we shot 50. The year after that, 100. Uh, I think our biggest year were probably 400, though. Um, so, so now, I mean, we, we take – we do surveys, we do counts, we do all that kind of thing. And uh, we know what a recruitment rate is. We know what our ratios are, our age structure of our bucks, age structure of our doe. So we'll set a target. And if I said 20 or 2,000, uh, uh, the guys would support it. So uh, it's worked out really well. But it's like anything else. You have to, you have to do something, monitor results, do something, monitor results. And then show them the data and explain to them what they're seeing. But, but for a group of guys, uh, you couldn't ask for anybody to come on board uh, faster and stronger and, 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 and more intense than this group did. That's great. So you started out with a 20 to 1 ratio, and now you're shooting 400. What's your ratio looking like nowadays? Uh, Preseason will be 1.7 to 1. Wow. So we're, we're about a one-to-one. -one. We try to end season with about a one-to-one. 
Now, how many years did it take you to get to that point? Oh, 19. Wow. It took a long that, time. That's amazing. That's, that's yeah. commitment and sticking to the plan for sure. Yeah. Yeah. We've, we've harvested thousands. Incredible. So now that you've got the dough numbers and the ratio kind of where you want it, where was your next step? Um, the next step, just like most places, is it was to teach them to to identify older bucks. Um, uh, you know, most most folks want to put in a, a three point on the side, four point on the side, a uh, width restriction, and I wanted to bypass all that and teach them to age deer. Uh, so so we did a, a couple of years of of four to a side, um, but but the the guys the hunters that I have can age deer with anybody uh right now we shoot five year old and above you know i don't care about the points i don't care about any of that but if it's not five year old let it go and wow. we've had great success with that yeah that's amazing jared do you have a follow-up i'm sorry yeah like in michigan to hear you know even though you're in on, on big club country in Michigan to hear five-year-old or older is, uh, as you know, Wayne, it's few and far between, right? Um, but they're, they're non-existent on most places I work in Northern Michigan. Uh, you know, yep. everybody, they have a management program. Uh, we take a look at it and they say, we let them go. We let them go. We let them go. And all we find is three-year-olds. Well, you did pretty good if you can find a three-year-old. I would agree. Most, most deer killed in, in this part of the country is going to be two, two and a half. So, uh, I, I think, I think last year or the, or the year before, um, our, our average was, was five and a half. Average. So, I mean, the average. So we wow. were shooting some sevens and, uh, uh, you know, I, I have a lot of discussions with the state about, you know, tuberculosis being prevalent in the, in the older age classes. And I said, well, where's your data? I mean, where, where's all these old bucks that, uh, uh, put a date off of where, yeah. you know, there, there's not any, the mine, uh, and, and it's just not true. Yeah. We don't let them get that old to get right. the data from them. Right. So right. I'm tracking. Right. Um, so what, what does a seven year old buck look like in Michigan, up in Northern Michigan? Um, Weight, by, by uh, points, score, all that type of stuff. Well, that, that's, a lot of genetics go to go into play in that and what the last six years look like you know yeah. typically by seven uh in this part of the country they're starting to go downhill okay uh, you know their their diameter's not as not as great as it once was points will still be there but a you know 150 inch buck at, at seven years old is probably in that mid 130s somewhere and uh, of course we got pictures you know we track them from from uh point a to point b but uh, uh they'll start going downhill you know five five or six after they start going downhill uh, what, because, what, what about the winters yeah no for sure winters um habitat possibly i want to get into that what what sort of body weight are you seeing on your mature deer say four and older four and older dress weight uh, beginning to rut, they'll be about 200 pounds. Yeah, there you uh, go. time ruts over there, you know, they're they're down at 170s. And how many bucks are you guys harvesting a year? Like, like if you're gathering all this intel and, and you're saying these numbers, what type of 
data sample are we talking about? Well, for a, for a through a, a rifle bow season combo, we'll we'll get in that seventy five to hundred buck number. Wow. That's so cool. Yeah, that's that's just so different than what you know. All of us are hunting twenties and forties and eighties, and exactly. hoping, for, hoping for one or two. Right. And you, you get you get to witness and, and track and and manage on uh, you know seventy five to hundred harvests. That's yeah. That's that's pretty inspiring. Um, and how about how about antler score? What's the, what's the average? I know you said some one thirties in there. That sounds about right. Um, how about some exceptions? What do you what do you guys on the top end? What what have you guys been able to squeak out up there? Well, we we're getting some up in that you know north of one fifties. Cool. Uh, um, you know they're they're few and far between, but you know the 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 one forties we've got. We've got columns of 140s now. We've still been an outlier. We're getting, you know, starting to group them. So, you know, that's wow. that's pretty encouraging too. Yeah. And, For and, northern and I, Michigan. Yeah. Again, guys, that's what I was just going to say. Like, we're talking northern Michigan here, which a lot of our listeners are from Michigan, but we have listeners from, you know, California to, to Maine and Florida right. to Washington. So, yeah. Well, you, you see these little bucks behind me. They, they, they don't look like much to a lot of hunters. To me, they do. Uh, but, well, <laughs> they to do. me, they're trophies from northern Michigan. <laughs> yeah, uh, for and, sure. And people that come to my house say, wow, they were not Michigan deer. I said, well, they actually, they're right here. Yes, they, they are every one of them. So, uh, I mean, I, I see a lot of bucks around the country that, you know, that, that two, 250, I mean, the, the big ones. Uh, but I, these are, I'm, I'm prouder of these than the others. 100%. I totally get that. Now, in terms of so a lot of a lot of what you were starting off doing and and still doing is you know controlling the ratio, which has a huge impact on the habitat um, and and carrying capacity. But what can you what have you done to the habitat to help you know even push that further um, to to help support your your ratio? And so I guess like I mean how do you manage thirty thousand acres? I get I, I get asked that question a lot. Uh, the answer is a hundred acres at a time. Uh, mm. You can't get your head around that big a piece of property. So you know we'll take a hundred acres. You know put a grid on the map. Say okay, what what does this hundred acres need? Has it got water, food, shelter, all the things that that go with it. And and pretty soon you've got it managed. Um, you know, t- twenty five years ago the the understory. Uh, in this part of the country was non-existent. You know, that you, it looked like he's walking through, you know, a, a downtown park. Um, but we've reduced the numbers probably 60% of what they what they were. Uh, our understory started to regenerate. Um, you know, we've got a lot of blackberries and, you know, a lot of regeneration. Um, a lot of times people don't like to cut their timber. So we've got a, a really aggressive forestry plan. Um, you know, we, we harvest a lot of trees, uh, and we put in, uh, you know, quite a few food plots. I think we're at about all 400 acres now. That's just strictly deer food plots scattered around. So lowering the, lowering the, the deer numbers, you know, knocking the bottom out of it, uh, food plots, timber management, excuse me, water management. And it, it is, it, it all comes together. Yeah, I, I could agree with you on that. Brian and I do some consulting ourselves, and I would say 
98% of the parcels we're on need cut. I mean, yep. every, every one of them. It's every one of them. Just like you said, um, there's a couple that, that have already been cut, et cetera. But I mean, every one of them, including my Northern piece that I, that I just picked up. Um, are you managing for timber at all while you're doing this? Cause I mean, you have a club, I'm sure you're looking for revenue as a club. Maybe not, maybe it's just for deer, but like, I mean, what's the goal with the timber? Are you guys cutting that hard? Are you select cutting it um, to keep up with the, the browse and the amount of deer you have, which you've leveled down? There's got to be probably a timber plant. Yes. Um, we actually, my, my, my son is assistant manager, soon to be manager. He's going to take over for me. Um, he is big into uh, the GIS systems, you know, the, all the krigging and all that kind of thing. And uh, we've got a timber manager put, put together uh, that if nothing bends or breaks, which it will, but we have a hundred year timber management plan. Um, you know, our number one goal is, is habitat and sustainability of the forest. I mean, that's, that's what we want. Um, and to do that, I mean, it, it generates a little revenue, but, but revenue is, is certainly secondary to, to habitat and forest health. Gotcha. Yep. So there's that, there's that continuum, right? Whether you want timber revenue or deer habitat, and they usually right. don't mix. And especially if you guys are, are, are funded by private members, deer, you know, deer would be number one. Um, yep. how many members do you guys have? Well, I can't tell you that. Not very okay. many. Okay. No worries. And then, um, as far as your son, who is, who is Shasta sitting? Shasta would be uh, my Shasta. daughter. I'll be Luke's wife. So I read her book to my son and have to my daughters for the last like five years. Sure. Why it's first whitetail. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's like grandpa. Okay. Yeah. So your grandpa in the book. Yeah. So yeah, my son could recite that word for word. I read that tonight uh, to bed for him. So I Perfect. just say, yeah, tell her uh, well done on that because it's huge. I, it, it's awesome. So yep, yep. She she does she does a really nice. I think she's got three out now, so she does a nice job on those. Awesome, awesome. Brian, yeah, so Wayne, yeah, Wayne, you have uh, you'd mentioned you have about four hundred acres of food plots. Uh, what kind of varieties are you planting? And uh, I'm imagining you're doing a bunch of spring and fall plantings as well. We do a lot of spring and fall. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that comes out every year, the latest, greatest, whatever. Um, and some of it's good, some of it not so good. But the 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 backbone of our program, uh, working with Dr. Kroll, and, and this is nationwide from Maine to Mexico. Um, we plant usually some kind of clover some kind of bean, uh, you know, depending on what happens, and then oats and, and uh, wheat in the fall. Uh, and that's what, that's what we make our, make our living on. Uh, deer nutrition hasn't changed over the years. Uh, so, so on this particular parcel, uh, soybeans, red clover, uh, winter wheat, and oats is our mainstay. I figured there'd be some oats in there working with Dr. Deer all those years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Su surprisingly that the, the, the oats, re regardless of what people think, uh, nobody, or, well, somebody does, but not doc and not me. We don't make anything off the buck forage oats. 
Um, uh, Doc did a lot of the research and development on those. Yeah. And uh, uh, we, we promote those uh, without taking any money because if something else comes along that's better, we can say, okay, here's something better. So we're not we're not tied to that as a sure. as a as a you know a, a source of income, but they are the best thing on the market for for winter grow that I know of right now. We've tested everything out there. Oh yeah, yeah, I've used those several times on some different properties, and they always perform, no question. They do. Uh, another follow up I had: uh, Have you been able to monitor any type of buck range? Any kind of trends that you're seeing on that size property, you know, what, you know, different age class, how big of a range they have, things like that. Yes. We've done, we've done a lot of, of, uh, of that kind of work around the country, including this place. Um, if you, what we find, if we can get, get our habitat right without any outside influence, like a, ATV or a you know a, a wolf or whatever the case may be. If we got everything to spot, we can keep a we can keep a deer on about eighty acres, which sounds mm-hmm. insane. Uh, but in northern Michigan on that property, uh, I would I would be safe in saying we can we can keep them on uh, six hundred acres pretty easy five hundred. Okay. So kind of walk us through a, a daily uh, routine at the, at the club. What, what are you doing on the daily and kind of on the micro level? Well, you know, the title manager can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. This particular manager has planted almost 50 million soybean seeds this week. Uh, so I spend a, I spend a lot of time in a tractor uh, farming. Um, but we have, we have staff and, and we've got all kinds of other things going on, a lot of maintenance and, you know, roads and all, all of that kind of thing. Um, but for the most part, um, we, uh, we do a lot of habitat work. We spend a lot of time, you know, looking at our timber, looking at our water sources, planting food plots. Um, we, we always got a little research and development, some kind of something going on, uh, that we spend some time on. Um, well, we got you've got a, a really good crew. Everybody kind of goes their own way, and I, I pick the parts that I like to do. Very nice. Fifty million soybean seeds. That's, that's, how many hours is that? It's a couple. <laughs> well, I'm, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, 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 I check my tractor meter, but it's been a bunch. Yeah. So. so we're supposed to get some rain tonight, so we've been pushing it, trying to beat that. I hope so. Yeah, definitely. So you mentioned uh, necropsies earlier. Kind of walk us through, you know, why you guys started doing that and uh, what are you looking for and what do they tell you? Well, with, without without data, anybody's opinion is good as the next guy's, you know. So it's a, a data collection thing. Uh, necropsies... It is a, a poor word for it. We, 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 we call them that because everybody understands, but it's, it's actually a herd health check. Um, back in the day, that was a, the only tool we had to, 
to extend rifle season so I could get the doe population down more. Uh, but then it turned into a, to kind of an event. Um, but what we're looking for is the condition of the females in the, in the hardest time of year, which is February for them. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're pregnant. Uh, they've weaned a fawn. They're in the, in the cold weather, not anything much to eat for a, a month. And we started out, we'd, we'd harvest, uh, oh, like a hundred in a day, uh, bring them in, take them apart. Uh, we get fetal counts out of them. So that's a, that's a big indicator for us of how productive the herd is. Um, the, the ovaries we can send in, so many times they've ovulated, which tells us how many times they cycle before they get bred. The age of the fetus, um, that that can can tell us a lot. They can tell us within 24 hours when she was bred. So we get a mean breeding average. And our, our goal was to shorten the rut. <coughs> you know, the, the whole trickle rut thing um, hurts a lot of people. So what we want to do is shorten our window on rut, which, which again, goes back into age classes and, and herd dynamics and ratios and that kind of thing. But... Um, it's just a general physical checkup on, on the deer. We look at kidney fat, uh, look for internal parasites, uh, of course, check for diseases, liver flukes, uh, all kinds of stuff, you know, bone marrow condition. And then we collect all that data. And, and next year will be our, I believe, will be our 20th necropsy. So we're, we're into the, you know, north of thousands number to, for a data set. So we're, we're, very confident in what we find. It's, it's very boring uh, for, for us. There's nothing exciting ever happens. We never find anything new. It's a, it's a well-managed herd. Uh, I actually prefer going to Georgia or somewhere and doing a necropsy because you, wow, this doe was bred really late. You know, ours are always on time. Uh, the right number of fetuses, the right amount of kidney fat. Uh, so it, it's all it's all good, but it's just a daily collection of herd health uh, body check. So that being said, of all the data that you've taken, what is the correct time of of the breeding here in Michigan, Northern Michigan? Well, if there's if there's a correct time, I I, I don't know that I would have that the what we'd call correct. Uh, typically, our peak is is around. November 15th, 16th, uh, I've seen it as early as the 12th, uh, you know, sometimes as late as the 18th or 19th. Um, but our, our, our breeding season is usually about 10 days to two weeks long. Okay. That's hundred percent everything bred. So, you know, you'll have an outlier. Um, I saw a fawn a month ago, so she had been bred early October. Um, and then we'll have a late one or two, but for the most part, we have a we have a two week breeding season. Uh, the whole trickle rut thing doesn't affect us anymore. No, that's that's awesome. And when do you find that your club members and yourself or family, whomever's hunting, when do you find your best success in northern Michigan? When? Yeah. Um, you go find it's hard to believe, but I don't hunt much. I spend all my time raising them. <laughs> um, you know, I, I used to bow hunt a lot. Uh, uh, you know, I like the I like the pre rut time, but you know, there's nothing like hunting right in the middle of rut. You know, it's it's uh, 
that's the time to be there if you're going to hunt. Uh, not to say I don't kill a lot of deer, but I don't, I don't, I don't do much of the sportsman hunting, you know, like I used to. I'm, if I never shoot another one, I'm, I'm good. Sure, sure. How about your members? When do they find most of their success? Uh, usually, the, usually the first three or four days of season, you know, from fifteenth to the twentieth. Okay. It's kind of you know the, the camaraderie, and and if the rut hits right, it's uh, uh, you know, they're they're pretty much done in four or five days. Oh man, so. I I couldn't imagine just uh, natural acting deer in northern Michigan. You know, I'm yep. sure you guys see the closest that that we're going to come to that is probably on your club. So. Yep. That's, yep. Yep. It's, a, it's a very natural deer herd. Everything's acting like it's supposed to. The bucks are vocal. The the you know the the, the young deer stand in the lake so don't get a horn stuck in them, and uh, yeah. uh, it's perfect. Wayne, is there anything that that we miss in the on the habitat side of things? I want to get into your doe harvest video next, and uh, and keep the conversation moving because I could probably talk to you all night. But is there anything that you guys cover habitat wise or things that we just didn't didn't even hit? Um, no, pr probably the biggest thing I see in in this part of the well, all over the country, is water. You know, people seem to miss the water component. Um, wow. you, you know they have to have a lot of water to get by. And if they have to have a farm and go a mile for water, well, the, that leaves a lot of opportunity for predation and, and that kind of thing. So, so again, probably the biggest thing is try to get water on, on every hundred acres at, at a minimum, if you can. Um, and that's, that's probably the biggest component I can see people miss. And is there any, is there any um, minimum size to that, I guess? No, it, okay. the biggest thing just needs to be consistent. Okay. You know, if it's a, a five gallon bucket, as long as it's got water in all time, it's, it's good. That's a, uh, that's a great so, tip. So as far as, as, as size, you know, you get into EHD and all the, the, the other things, uh, you know, uh, ponds drying up, water holes drying up. Um, but, but short of that, just consistency. Okay. Appreciate that. Um, now I think how I, I first heard your name or, or saw your face was on that, that YouTube video, which I've sent to hundreds of people, um, about the doe harvest Intel, uh, which surprised me when I watched it. And I've been, I've been a deer hunter for a long time, not saying I know everything cause I don't, but like I, that I'd learned a lot through your, your 45 minute video or so, or whatever it was there, um, I'm not sure the best way to go about explaining the entire video. Uh, how would we, we talked about the age of does that produce different sex fawns. That right. was, that was in your video, I guess, explain if you can, cause you probably do it way better than me. Um, how that relates to the age of a doe and what gender fawns she's putting off most likely contrary to everybody's belief young fawn versus old fawn the whole or a doe versus old doe the whole thing yep i'll uh i'll try to give you a short version but like yeah. i said it's about a 45 minute thing so I'll, <laughs> I'll try to cut it back i have been beat up over that more than you can imagine um but once again we have the data i mean we we've not only not only in michigan but Texas and Georgia and, and around the, we have got terabytes of data on, on doe 
long story short is an old doe, typically 70 some percent of the time, she'll breed. And after she gets to be four or five years old, she'll have twin female fawns. Okay. A young doe, again, 70 some percent of the time, maybe 80% depending on where you're at, weather. But she'll have a single buck fawn almost every time. Wow. Okay, that's pretty big if we're going to be buck hunters, which yeah. nobody goes to Cabela's and buys a million dollars worth of stuff to shoot those. Correct. <laughs> so we want to produce as many bucks as we can. All these old girls out here, they, they get they get bred, and they're the old dominant doe. They, they take over your better food plots, uh, and they're raising female offspring, which in turn overpopulate things, puts our ratios out of balance. And your young mothers, they're already kicked out. They're off out on a grassland out there somewhere trying to make a living. They're away from water. They're away from cover. And those are the ones that's producing your, your buck offsprings. So in my world, if I'm trying to, to raise bucks, then once a doe gets to be four years old, uh, I turn it into jerky or sausage or pot roast. I don't have any use for after that. However, if you don't have any deer and you're trying to, to, to create a, a bigger population, then that's the wrong thing to do. You need to let them old girls go because who's going to be the successful mother? It, it's going to be that old doe. She, she, she's got a lot better chance of raising her, her offspring than what that young mother does at her, her first rodeo. So in short, in a perfect world, we like old bucks and young does. Yeah, well, I'm glad I handed the mic to you because you definitely summarized that way better and more eloquently than I could have. Um, so you're, you're saying don't keep that old breeder doe around <laughs> if you have a high poppy, high deer population. Uh, you know, I know she's throwing off twins, but four and a half years old or older, 70 or so percent of the time, she's throwing twin doe fawns. Yep. Yep. And you can, that is wild. Yep. If you'll people that see a lot of deer, when you see a fawn, a day old, you can tell if it's a buck or a doe by the shape of its head and so forth. Okay. People will start paying attention to that. They'll, they'll, they'll realize that, that our data is correct. Mm -hmm. You find an old doe more than likely she's going to have, she's going to have a twin females with her. So, on your club, are you guys, what's your doe rule? Just, do you look for the biggest, most mature doe and that's what you hammer? Again, we have, we have, uh, uh, the guys that hunt there are very, very good at aging deer. Okay. Uh, so what we tell them, if she's four years old or older, bring her in. Okay. Do you have any, um, comments on what people have dubbed? Doe factories, doe old does versus pushing out bucks and stressing out bucks. Um, you mentioned they they kind of uh, rule the roost and kick the younger does out. I imagine they do the same with a buck until it's breeding time. Sure. Yeah. Okay. The uh, yeah, I I I know where you're going with that. I, I I've I'm just that curious. It's, it's a you know you 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 mentioned the numbers. You guys have gone through numbers, so that's why I'm asking yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the, uh, well, back to your first question about dough factories and, and all that. 
Um, the guys that are doing it, they're, they're, having, they're having some success, and, and here's why. Don't plant your summer food plots because all you're doing is raising dough. Okay, there's, there's a little bit of validity to that. But who's raising the box? Uh, if you do that, you can have some success. If you've got 40 acres, just don't do anything and then throw some oats down and you can kill your neighbor's buck. You can probably do that. However, once he's dead, there's nothing to replace him. So if you don't, if you don't keep a food plot going uh, or you timber managed or your population's in check, uh, the, the whole neighborhood will suffer from that. Uh, that's that's probably the worst advice I've ever heard in my life. And uh, I'll probably get beat up for saying that, but it's the truth. Um, I followed some of these guys around that, that have, have uh, managed places for a long time. And uh, it, it takes a little while to undo that. Um, but, you know, my advice to anybody that's, that's a deer hunter is stick to the basics. There, there's nothing new. Uh, you know, groceries, food, water, shelter, balanced ratios, and uh, you'll kill that big buck eventually. Yeah, I mean, you, you just said it like build the better habitat, right? Be, yeah, absolutely. Be the outlier in your neighborhood. Don't don't just plan on killing your neighbor's buck and then what happens? All the deer are still over there anyways, or at least the next buck or the buck after that. No, that well put. Um and a lot of guys, you know, want the does around during the rut. That makes sense. I get that. And, uh, but you have to have the habitat to hold every, them, including the bucks behind them. Right. So, yeah, to your point. Yeah. Make yeah, sure I, I, I grade my program on what I see when I'm in, the, in, a, in a tree stand. You know, have I got two-year-olds? Have I got three-year-olds? Have I got does? What, you know, what's my two-year-old bucks look like? You know the big one. There's nothing I can do for him. He's already he's already done his thing, um, other than put him on the wall. So I think it's important for people to 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 you know look at their program and and balance the whole the whole package. Uh, if you don't do that, you're you're not only hurting yourself, but you're hurting your neighbors. Do you think there's a size limit on how small your property can be? with the efficacy of habitat management i mean are you are you pissing in the wind with five acres or can you do something with that uh what's, what's your thought on that being where you're at compared to maybe maybe where you started even i'm not sure well it, it, it depends on where your five acres is at you know if you're in jackson county five acres may be as good as anywhere in the country <laughs> um you know i i work with a, a lot of smaller properties a lot of co-ops and you can only do what your neighbors are going to let you do. Um, and that's just the cold, hard truth. Um, you know, if you, if you got your neighbors letting stuff go and you let them go, eventually somebody in the neighborhood is going to, going to take an, a, a trophy back. may not be you, but you had just as much to do with him, him getting there as, as anybody else did. So um, I, I, I guess I don't have a, a good answer for that. Uh, it would depend on where you're at in the country. Okay. Uh, you know what what size parcel it would take to 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 have what we call a resident herd. You know whether they're they're your deer on your property most of the time. Neighbors are important. That's for they sure. They are Absolutely. very important. So Wayne, what do you think 
people were doing wrong on a daily basis, or maybe even look back on some of your experience and maybe save some new people from making the same mistakes that you did? Well, that's a tough one. Um, I would probably get off the internet. Uh, that's probably the, that's, that's probably the biggest thing I find. That's is, great advice. Is I go somewhere and somebody says, Hey, I, I read, you know, this is, this is the thing. Um, we'll take, we'll take hinge cutting as a, for instance, um, to me, hinge cutting on, on larger pro properties, that's a, that's a temporary solution to a permanent problem. You know, you're, you're way ahead to plant a tree than a hinge cut a tree. And, and, you know, I know Jim Brocker, I know all them guys, and they are really good at that stuff. And I've seen properties they went in, they turned it into a, 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 a wildlife, a deer, a deer hunter's dream by hinge cutting. But a, a, a guy buys a 20-acre parcel out here, and I've been on them, and they cut half their timber down. Uh, you know, hinge cutting is good. The more, the better. Well, that's not necessarily the case. Right. Uh, you know, you can do too much hinge cutting, too many food plots, uh, uh, you know, too many access trails, too much screening cover. Um, if they'll, if people will stop and put a little common sense to it and say, okay, you know, how much hinge cutting do I really need to do? Well, somebody out there can tell you. Uh, you may have to have somebody come look at your property or whatever to, to give you some advice. And I'm not saying it's bad, but you can, you can do too much of any of it. You know, everything in moderation, instead of going in and blowing a piece of property apart, go in, do something, check your results. If it worked, do a little more of it. If it, if it didn't work, then stop doing that. Yeah. I like what you mentioned earlier about sticking to the basics. I mean, that's like you said, common sense kind of don't go overboard one way or the other and, and monitor what you're doing there. You're right. Yep. Tweak it a little bit. See what happens. Tweak it again. Now, do you think that the, the hinge cutting thing, not to go down this rabbit hole, but, um, I mean, we, we see it as more of a tool in your toolbox, right? So there are certain times for that, certain places for that, but the goal to us is sunlight on the forest floor, right? That's yeah, the way, that's the way we see it. Yep. Yep. And there, there's, that's absolutely a must. You know, if you're going to have an understory, you got to get sunlight down there. Hinge cutting is a great way to do that. But if you've got 20 acres and you hand cut 20 acres, uh, you, you rent 20 acres. So, uh, uh, and I, I do see that quite a bit. Uh, but sunlight, uh, you got to remember deer's world's only four foot tall. So those big, beautiful trees out there, they're not doing a lot of good if they don't have fruit hanging on them. And uh, uh, acorns are great. Uh, we raise deer all over the country where there's no oaks. So, uh, you know, I, I'd rather see a good understory than a, than a great overstory in most cases. Yep. I say that all the time. Once you're above five feet, you know, unless it's dropping mass, you're, you're done. Yeah, you're done. Brian, I have a couple of follow-ups. Do you have a follow-up at all? No, go ahead. You mentioned ATVs, Wayne. Uh, how important or detrimental 
is the sound of an ATV in northern Michigan? Um, I get that question a lot also. I, I find that deer can get used to about anything. Uh, what what scares deer off of a, of a property in most cases is we have a quiet time or we have a, a we have a sanctuary whatever whatever reason we use to not go on that property and then when the 13th to 14th go, go, comes along then you know with the ATVs the kids the tree stands and all that um, I like to see somebody who, who buys a piece of property use it you know if, if you're gonna if you're gonna run ATVs run them um, uh, in my yard, I mean, I've got I've got four wheelers of stuff running around here, and deer stand there watching them. You know, they'll get used to it. Uh, it's back to the waterhole theory: consistency. <clears throat> you know, if you're going to ride a four wheeler or, or, or side by side on your property, th there's nothing wrong with that. Um, that that I've found. But if you if you've got a quiet time and you 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 leave it there, uh, leave everything alone for 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, and then you and all your buddies come in with UTVs, you're going to scare them off for a few days. Gotcha. Yeah. That so makes whatever sense. you're doing, do it every day. Okay. So for how about those guys who are um, not there every day, out-of-towners, you know, flatlanders, as y'all might call them, um, any tips for those type of guys who have properties in northern Michigan, get up there once a month, twice a month type thing? Oh, uh, the, the biggest, the biggest problem I see that I, those guys make, and yeah, we do call them flatlanders up here. Yep. They've got names for us too, uh, <laughs> but, but they'll come up and I've got a neighbor. Uh, he comes up once every two months and he must buy all the ammo at Jay's and he comes up here <laughs> and he'll shoot all day, shoot all night, um, and then leave. And it comes back up and four wheelers and ATVs and, and it's his place. He do what you want to, but some of us live here and, uh, uh, most of the guys that live here, if you had a place and needed some help taking care of it, uh, everybody's pretty neighborly, you know, they watch out for each other. Um, <coughs> but, but yeah, to, to come up and just, just take a, something that's been quiet two or three months and just turn it wrong side out. Um, I see all these deer that run me. So, yeah, I don't want <laughs> Right. I mean, you got to support them then, right? You got to feed them. That's right. Yeah. Well, I have one more question. Then we have like a, like a rapid fire series where I'm going to grill you with five or six questions real quick. And, okay. um, if you're up for it, we'll, we'll get into that. You, you define, or you, you said something earlier. You want your, your members to have success and, and your goal as the club manager or, or what the official title might be is success. How do you define success on your, uh, on your parcel, on your club? Success is, is for them to be able to come up, have a good time, shoot whatever their version of a trophy is. Uh, you know, some of them, uh, it, it's their, their, their son or their, their nephew's first buck. That's a 110 inch, uh, you know, four or five year old, I, that's great. You know, to me, that's a success. Get somebody, get a hunter, uh, into the woods, get him to harvest a nice buck or show them, a, a, a you know, a one fifty something. They spend their season, 
looking for that that buck and, and have it successful a successful hunt and the ability to to for them to come in and say hey i saw a three-year-old well to have a hunter come in and, and realize that there's such a thing as a three-year-old if he actually let it go and he identified it as a three-year-old you know to me that's a big personal success uh but for him to come up have a good time uh, uh shoot a shoot a quality deer that's not full of disease and uh, uh uh, to me, that's a that's a success. Very well said. I, I like that. The fact that you're teaching folks to age deer, uh, yeah, hey, APR or, or not, you know, maturity is what Brian and I fo- try to focus on. You get a deer that walks in, looks like a bull steer. You know, we're ready to go. Like that's right. I don't care what his rack looks like. That's that's cool. Um, and Northern Michigan to do it all that. That's even better, man. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's a great place to be successful. Well, I'm going to get in this rapid fire real quick, and then we'll let you go, Wayne. Truly appreciate your time. Uh, number one, your favorite beverage. My pet uh, adult beverage? Or, I'm, I'm drinking a green tea right now. Yeah, let's not go <laughs> green tea. Let's go adult uh, beverage. Well, I, I call it Crown and Crown and Sprite. Oh, yeah. That's that's delicious. Do you, like that, do you like that peach crown by chance? Have you tried that? I do not. I've tried it. I don't like it. Okay. Okay. All right. How about um, your favorite venison recipe? I, I guarantee y'all eat a lot of deer. What, what's your thoughts on that? Uh, we do eat a lot of deer. Uh, I like to run to a, a, a smoker, a ah. barbecued backstrap. Okay. Do you wrap it in bacon or no? Wrap it in bacon, maybe some jalapenos on it. It's all good. My man, that sounds delicious. Um, if you're bow hunting, do you use fixed blades or mechanical broadheads? Fixed. I'm going to add another one in here that we never ask. Uh, what's your deer rifle? Uh, depends on what I'm doing. Uh, okay. My, 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 my favorite, if I'm buck cutting, it's probably a 308. Okay. Uh, you know, for, for doe reduction, uh, 223. That 308, is that like a lever action, old school? Is it bolt? What is that? No, I'm into, I'm into long shooting. I took that up several years ago. I, I, I like that 1,000, 1,200 yard stuff. Um, yeah. That's no, the I, don't shoot, I don't shoot deer that far. Uh, I'm a big bolt action guy. Gotcha. Yeah. Yep. Very yeah. nice. Um, do you prefer preset tree stands, permanent blinds, or do you, do, do any of you guys, or you like to mobile hunt climbers or uh, that saddles or that sort of thing? I, I've used them all. I, the way, the way we're set up on well, most of the places we work, we have permanent box blinds. Yeah. And then we, we build a habitat around that to be successful. Access first, right? Absolutely. Uh, food, water, or cover? What's most important on your on your club? Oh, uh, they're all equally important. If you had to pick one, gun to your head, that's it. Got to have one. Well, they can live longer without food than they can water. Good point, Wayne. All right. Um, your favorite habitat tool or implement that you guys use the most on the farm? Um, probably a disc. Okay. And then this one, um, take your time on this. We asked this to all of our listeners and we get some pretty cool answers. Your favorite tree. We're habitat nerds. That's what we, that's what we do. We're hunters. We, we sit in different types of trees. We plant different types of trees. We cut different types of trees. What's coming to your brain? Um, I'm a big oak guy. 
But, uh, you know, if I could hunt under a pear tree, I would. Oh, okay. What kind of pear? Whatever kind of, that's got pears on it in November. Brian's also a, a very big pear guy, and, and I understand keepers are, yeah, I'm big oh, pear yeah. for sure. Not, not to advertise, there's a, there's a new Dr. Deer pear coming out that's uh, better than the keeper. Well, All right. I was, <laughs> was just going to say, now is your chance. Thank you so much for, for your time, Wayne. Truly enjoyed that. Love to have you on again sometime. Feel free to plug everything and anything that you'd like to. Okay. Uh, I don't know that I've got anything to plug. Um, there's a there's a new company uh, called Wild Tree out of uh, out of Texas that's putting out some some pretty cool stuff. Uh, Doc's working with them, me not so much, but I've seen some of their products. Um, I, I think they're going to be a success for hunters around. Um, other than that, guys, good hunting. Thank you. Well, we, we really appreciate your time, Wayne. Um, I'm going to put that video in the notes. I'll put the link to Wild Tree in the notes. And uh, again, just thanks for your time. Truly appreciate okay. it and uh, good job. And uh, yeah, hope to run into you soon. All right. Come to the crops you next year. All right. Sounds good. All, All right. right. All right. Thanks, See Wayne. Thanks, night. Wayne. Good night. Thank you so much, listeners, for coming and listening once again to the Habitat Podcast. We really appreciate it. If you could, please do us a favor. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. If you type out something nice, I will send you a free Habitat Podcast decal. If you haven't been to our website, habitatpodcast.com, we have our Habitat property consultation services on there under the land plan tab. Check out our HP land plans there. We also have hats, t-shirts, and decals up at habitatpodcast.com. Of course, all of our podcast episodes. And then we have a new Habitat Podcast journal you can learn about deer anatomy and some cool thoughts, um, you know, more of a blog post from us every now and then. We'd really love it if you went over to our Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, found the Habitat Podcast, and please subscribe. That really helps us. And thank you very much to our sponsors. I'd like to thank Vitalize Seed Company at vitalizeseed.com. Packer Max Cultipackers. Exodus Trail Cameras. Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, Endless Horizons Archery, Morse Nursery, First Light, Legendary Forest Products, Acres.co, United Country Midwest Lifestyle Properties. Thank you so much, guys, for tuning in once again. Get back with us soon. We're going to have another great episode for you as we become better habitat managers. Mm -hmm.